Okay, we're on the air. Last week, we talked about hell and the, and the conventional understanding we have of hell. And today we're going to look at a little different understanding of the Bible verses that talk about the concept of hell. But before we do, I want to emphasize this. I'm not trying to convert you folks. I'm just trying to present a different understanding. Because remember, the song from the 50s, K Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. We cannot see the future. We really don't know for sure what the afterlife is going to look like. The Bible gives descriptions throughout the New Testament, and particularly in uh, the Gospels. Paul's writings in Revelation, but the picture is not really clear. And there's a lot of theological arguments about what it's going to look like. So, with that, and that little uh, pre-warning, <laughs> we'll get into it. This is the key verse that we've been looking at. Probably, as we mentioned last week, the best-known verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world, key word, love the world, that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Today we're going to look at the concept of perish, but have eternal life. Last week we looked at the verses in Revelation to talk about the final situation for those people who do not follow Christ. Satan, the beast, and the false prophet will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And later it goes on to say the wicked will be thrown into the fiery furnace or eternal fire. It uses different descriptions, but fire is always included. So the question we're going to look at today is Will those who are cast into hell also be tormented day and night forever and ever, or will they perish in the fire? Will they perish? So we're going to look at the concept of perish and the words that were used in the Bible to describe what happens to people in hell. But first, we need to look at a concept of mortal versus immortal. And there's a big description in Christianity. In fact, in other religions on this concept of are we innately immortal? Is that part of us automatic that what we are? That we exist forever and ever either in heaven or in hell? Or is are we innately mortal? That we will eventually cease unless we are given life. So which is it? So we're going to address that this morning. The concept of innate human immorality was an ancient Greek philosophy proposed by Socrates and then later really emphasized by Plato. In fact, it's called the Platonic or Platonic concept of immortality. The concept was later adopted into Christianity. Now, this wasn't like one day they decided, okay, we'll believe in that. It was a long process. In about the third century AD, a fellow named Origen proposed the idea of immortality of the soul. And then um, later on in about the fifth century, uh, it was emphasized again in, in the 13th century, uh, it became pretty much a standard thought in Christianity. And the Reformation and Restoration, most of the uh, 
Protestant denominations accept the fact of immortality and then so does the Catholic Church. But does the Bible teach innate human immortality, but that our body and soul are mortal, which is a teach, which is a show. Actually, if you read your Bible cover to cover, there's really no discussion on innate immortality. We have discussions, of course, of eternal life and so forth, but this idea of we are immortal when conceived is really not in the Bible. Look at some verses. When the perishable has been closed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So here we have two analogies. Perishable, what you start with, and you're clothed with imperishable. Mortal is what we start with, and we're clothed with immortality. And again, do not be afraid of those kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. There's two distinctions here, body, soul. You can kill the body, but you cannot kill the soul. Then it goes on to say, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy, we have perish, now we have destroy, both the soul and body in hell. So here's two juxtaposed situations. One of them can kill the body, but not the soul. We can do that. It happens all the time. People kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. The one, and I'm not sure from reading, is the one, the Lord, is the one the devil? I'm not really sure. I, I suspect it means the Lord because it's capitalized in the NIV. That can destroy both the soul and the body. The soul can be destroyed. And we'll look into what that means, these words. And that God grants us immortality as a gift through Jesus. It's not innate, it's given to us. Some verses. I give them, I, this is Jesus speaking, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. There's our word again, perish. The gift of God, a gift of God, is eternal life in Jesus our Lord in Romans. And then again, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So this presents a picture that we do not automatically have immortality. It's given to us as a gift through Jesus. Okay, so far? Now it's going to get heavier and heavier, folks. So if you have questions or you're going, oh, well, I don't understand that, you know, let me know and we can discuss it. Okay? So, what happens to those people who are consigned to the bad place? What happens to them? These are the words that are used in Scripture to de describe what happens to them. They perish, destroyed. We've already seen both of those words. They're consumed. They're punished. They die. They, have, they die the second death. So we're going to look at all these concepts in relatively great detail in the Scriptures and try to understand when the writer, Jesus, the apostles, whatever, spoke to these people, what did they hear? 
What did they hear? Not, not what's been translated over the centuries, but what did they hear? Now, of course, we're not there, so there's going to be some speculation, but, you know, bear with me and we'll see how that works. Jesus, as we talked about last week, Jesus used the term Gehenna 11 times in the Bible. First usage is in Matthew, the fifth chapter. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Obviously, this is metaphorical. You don't see many people pulling their eyes out or cutting their hand off or their foot, as the scripture goes. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into Gehenna, hell, Gehenna. And this is an important concept, and we want to kind of expand on that. We had this slide last week. He uses the word Gehenna as translated as hell by almost all versions of the Bible. The Greek word Gehenna derives its name from a deep ravine south of Jerusalem, the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. The Hebrew is Gehinnom, which we have now translated into Gehenna. The valley was desecrated by Josiah because human sacrifices were offered under pagan gods. People would actually throw their babies into this fire as a sacrifice. That's almost incomprehensible for us, but that was a practice, particularly under Baal. And it became a sort of perpetual burning city dump, and later a figure for the place of final punishment. And this is from Wikipedia. Okay, let's, let's try to imagine what they heard when they heard this. I'll give you, I'll give you a today example. Got a dollar bill. This dollar bill is unique. It has a number on it that distinguishes it from every other dollar bill, just like people. We're all unique. We have a fireplace in our house. In the wintertime, that fireplace is burning and produces nice heat. If I take this bill and I wish to destroy it, to make it perish, to make it be consumed, and I throw it in the fire, what happens to it? Destroyed. It's destroyed. Consumed. It's gone. It's burned up. It's finished. So when we have discussions in the Bible about destroyed, consumed, perished, we want to understand. So by my analogy, you get the mental picture, that dollar bill burning up and is gone. The fire may be still burning, but the bill is not. So my supposition is when Jesus gave this analogy, what did they think of? Take my grocery bag full of garbage and I go to this ravine and the fire is burning down there and I throw my garbage into it and it burns my picture is going to be the garbage is burned up. So my assumption is, and this is an assumption, that's the mental picture they got when Jesus gave the, the metaphor of Gehenna. Does that make sense? Good, I got some of this, not some of that. <laughs> okay, let's look at some of these words and how they were used in the Bible to describe the situation. Once again, God so loved the world doesn't want anyone to perish. And the Greek word is apolatai. And again, I give them eternal life that they shall never perish. Apolantii. Now they have different endings in the words like we do. The Lord is not show, slow to show his promise as some understand slowness. 
He is patient with you, not wanting in anyone to perish, apoletheiai, but everyone to come to repentance. So here we have this word used over and over, and there's many more verses that use that word, perish. But it comes from the Greek word apolimai. It's a combination of two words. Apo, meaning away from, and olimai, to destroy. So in the Greek, that meant to fully destroy, completely cut off entirely, is what the word perish meant in the Greek at that time, okay? Perish. Another word is destruction or consume, destroy, be consumed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction, apelias, of ungodly men. Apelias means to destroy fully. That's the definition of that word in the Greek, to destroy fully, not partially, not it lasts fully, destroyed. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice of sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume esthien, the enemies of God. Esthien means to destroy, annihilate. Now, annihilate in our language, you have a pretty good picture of what annihilation means. It's done for. That's it, right? Extend, consume. These are the words that were used in those scriptures. Punish. Punish is used. They will go to eternal punishment, kolesen, but the righteous to eternal life. And it's also the same word, kolesen. I should have put that in there, kolesen. It's from the word kolassis, or from kalaphos, is a buffering, a blow. It's the punishment that fits the crime, is what that means. It fits the one being punished. So when you have little kids and they don't pick up their clothes, that's one punishment, okay? But when you have a teenager that ends up in big trouble, the punishment is different. The punishment fits the crimes is what that means. In other words, okay, they'll be punished. This is a different word for punishment. Daikin, with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Daikin has to do with justice, a just punishment. Similar to the other meaning, it fits the crime. Judgment, punishment, or in some cases, vengeance. Now we're going to look at the concept of everlasting in a minute, but look at it this way. My dollar bill that I threw in the fire was everlasting punished. I didn't want it anymore, I threw it away. Now does that mean, in everlasting, does that mean that the punishment lasts forever? Or the punishment is permanent, cannot be rejuvenated, cannot be reclaimed, cannot be undone? Okay, to die or death is used. I told you you would die, you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one 
I claim to be. You will indeed die. Okay, here's a biggie. Apothenista in your sins. Gospel of John. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Aponeskian. And another word, for the wages of sin is death, thanatos. So what are these, what are these words picture in our mind when you talk about death or dying? The Greek words apolenthesi, ap, ap, apotheskian. Well, these are hard. Dell made me practice these. They still can't get them. <laughs> <laughs> and thanatos are translated, all translated into English, to die or death, meaning to pass away, expire, or perish. Aponesco means to die, literally or figuratively. And in the Greek, it's, you know, and we, we use that expression, you know, I would just die to have that Ferrari. We don't, we don't literally mean we're going to see death to get an object, but we use that expression even in our language. I'm going to die for that. I just die for that. To be dead, to die, death, to lie a dying, mean the process of dying, or to be killed, to be slain. And Thanatos, death, is also literally, literally or figuratively, deadly. In other words, it's an ap Thanatos snake. It's deadly. It's deadly or death. Any questions so far? No? Okay, we keep going. The second death is, um, is brought up in the book of Revelation. And Revelation has a lot of descriptions of both heaven and hell. And if you've ever read Revelation or studied Revelation, you know it's a very difficult book to try to get a hard mental picture of what's going on. For instance, they talk about in the 21st chapter, the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem coming down. It even gives a measurement, 12,000 stadia. Okay. But that verse also says, there'll be no more sea. So people say, well, it's going to really be on earth, but it's going to be pretty hard if there's no water. So what, what does it mean? It's, it's very difficult for us to get a hard picture of both heaven and hell from the book of Revelation. Although it, may, it gives a lot of talk about that, and we'll look at some of that. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. The lake, what is the second death? The lake of fire is a second death. In other words, our body dies once. Second death is a lake of fire, one, two. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You know, I, I always love those passages in the Bible, and Paul does it all the time, where they list a whole bunch of sins, you know. And Paul particularly, like in Corinthians, he, he makes a list and he includes murderers and adulterers and liars. Then he goes on to say the prideful and the arrogant and going, uh-oh. Uh-oh. The second death, it's a scary thought. 
Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. We look at this verse. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Body, first death. Soul, second death. Okay, you got it? Stop me if I'm going too fast or you don't catch. Okay, so hell in the verses we've looked at, the words punished, destroyed, consumed, punishment, death, all indicate a finality. Every one we looked at, not a single, not a single disparity. Fully or completely destroyed, annihilate, demolish, to do away completely, no longer exist. These are the concepts that the writers of the Bible used to describe hell. This is the words they used. These definitions all indicate a terminal ending as opposed to continual existence in hell. Terminal. Okay, look at some of the words that are used. Eternal, foreverlasting, day and, day and night, and all these kind of concepts. Eternal. The sheep and the goats. We know the story of the sheep and the goats where Christ separated those who did good things on earth against those who did not do good things to people on earth. And he, he finished the story by saying they will go away to eternal. Eternal here is aion, punishment. But the righteous to the same word, aion, life. The adjective eternal, aionos, here has a, both a qualitative Returning to the age, meaning the age to come, in the eternal existence at that time, or it can mean qualitative, unending in time. Kind of what we, the word we think of eternal, meaning forever, the, the never-ending continuum. And unfortunately, the word itself, aionos, is not distinguishable as the meaning as in the age to come, or unending in time. We, we can't say definitely it's this or that. So you look at this verse. They will go away to eternal punishment or to eternal life. They both use the same word. So it can mean they go to everlasting punishment, continual conscious torment, or they go to eternal life, life with God forever. Or the other way to look at it is when they get to eternity, they will be punished. And when we get to eternity, they'll be given life. And we can't distinguish which that means. Neither one is necessarily incorrect, but we can't distinguish. Eternal. Okay, here's an example. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and to perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So that's the example. Let's look at, okay, Second Peter. If he condemned the, sin, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, that's our example. That's the example that was given to us and made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly burned to ashes, like our dollar bill, burned to ashes. For how about forever and ever? They'll be punished forever and ever. He, those who worship the beast, 
will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. So what does that mean? The smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. Here's an example in the Bible of that usage. Edom was a, was a town that was destroyed by God for their sins. Edom's streams will be turned into pitch, their dust into, I can't read it because the light's shining on it, dust into burning sulfur. Her land will become a blazing pitch. It will not be quenched night and day. Its smoke will rise forever. So here we have this idea, night and day, forever. That's, that's pretty hard language. Um, there's no smoke anymore. There's no smoke. Edom's destroyed. There's no smoke. It's gone. So when the writers of the Bible use terms like that, and this is what I read uh, on the internet, what it typically means is during that period of time, appropriate for that period of time, the destruction was complete. It's done. Day and night. Finished. Finished. So we, we use these examples of Edom and Sodom and Gomorrah to try to figure out how the Bible used these terms of forever and everlasting and day and night and so forth. Because if we, if we don't understand the Greek, we get a mental picture of eternal conscious torment. But if we look at the words and how they're used, we can get a different picture. Here's another one, everlasting. We'll be punished with everlasting aion destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Aionion means perpetual, used in the past tense or past and the future as well, eternal forever. So once again, we look at this everlasting. Does everlasting mean that the punishment is everlasting? Or does it mean that once the punishment is given, it cannot be revoked. It is done forever. It's eternal. It's complete. There's no revocation of the punishment. And we really don't have hard definitions because you can see the word aionion can mean. So we can look at that in the two ways. You're sitting there thinking, oh yeah, well what about the story of Lazarus and the rich man? I got somebody's thinking that, all right? Somebody has, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So we need to address that. It's in Luke, the 16th chapter, it's a long discussion on Lazarus and the rich man. And you remember the story. The rich man was rich and he had everything he could possibly want in this world. And Lazarus was a poor beggar outside his gate that longed to eat the crumbs from the rich man's table. That indicates the rich man would give him nothing, not even the scraps. That's, that's the story we have of these two characters, okay? So the rich man in hell, or not hell, it, the word actually is Hades. And we talked about that last week. The Greek word Hades means the place of the dead from the Greek. It doesn't necessarily mean the good place or bad place, it just means the place of the dead. But in our Bible, it's translated as hell. So here he is in hell, and he's having a conversation with Abraham. Uh, excuse me, Abraham, um, um, you know, I'm really in torment here. Would you send Lazarus to 
put his finger in some water and put it on my tongue. I'm in torment in these flames. And then he goes on to say, would you have him go to my brothers, my five brothers, so they won't come here too? This story was a common story used by the rabbis. But in this situation, what illustration was Jesus trying to use when he gave this illustration? Was it the fact that we go to hell and burn forever, like the rich man? Or was it the fact that those who do not share what we have, sort of like the sheep and the goats, will be punished? If you look in your NIV Bible, this is a study Bible, it says as a note to Luke 16, 23, some understand Jesus' description of Abraham's side and Hades in a less literal way. Well, I tell you something, folks, this is a little personal here. Man, that's a scary picture. Years ago, when I was still single, I was burned in an industrial accident. And I screamed in pain, in panic. I didn't have a casual conversation. No way in the world. I mean, I was, put these flames out. Actually, it wasn't flamed, it was molten plastic. Cool it off, cool it off, stop the pain, stop the pain. There was no conversation. So with our understanding we're working, looking at today, then, the story of Lazarus and the rich man was not necessarily meant to describe punishment, but to tell us we need to be the sheep and not the goats. We need to be the one who takes care of our brothers and sisters, not the one who's involved with their own welfare and their own needs. Okay, eternal versus mortal. Here's a verse in, in Revelation we looked at last week. And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, we've looked at that forever and ever and day and night, but suppose it's literal. They will be tormented, consciously tormented forever. And then it goes on to say, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, the lake of fire is a second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, the thought, the one train of thought is that we who are thrown into hell, well, let me rephrase that, them who are thrown into hell will also be tormented day and night forever and ever. They combine these two verses to get the one thought, okay? But that first verse is very, very different. Okay, Satan is eternal. He was there, okay? The beast, the, the first beast was called the beast of the sea. He came out from the sea. This is not a human being, it's a spirit. The false prophet was a second beast that came out from the land. Once again, these are not people. They're spiritual beings. They don't cease. The angels don't cease. God doesn't cease. Jesus doesn't cease. So to make, to make that attachment is really not fair to the Bible. It doesn't make that attachment because the first paragraph are spirits. The second paragraph is people. 
different, different. This is great. This sums up the whole lesson in one sentence. The distinctive principles of the Advent Christian Church includes the beliefs that humans are created mortal, that God will give immortality to the saved in the resurrection, and that the damned, not given immortality, eventually suffer the second death and forever cease to exist. Pretty well sums it up. If, if this interests you, go on the internet and, and, and search for conditional immortality, and you will find pages of it. Conditional immortality is the title used for this concept. We're not guaranteed immortality, it's conditional. It's conditional on the fact that we serve Jesus. Don't serve Jesus, no immortality. So the conclusion from this understanding of the scriptures are, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And again, the one who sins is the one who will die, death, perish, consumed, destroyed. If you want to really get into this deep, there's a book by a fellow named Edward William Judge, written about the 1950s, called The Fire That Consumes. It is a very technical book. He covers every single verse in the Bible that has to do with hell, and he gives both sides of the story. Very detailed. Now that's it, folks. You have any questions? No comments? Well done. Well, I, um, I read this book, what, about, what, six months ago, maybe? And I had, I had like most people in, in, the, in the Christian realm, just automatically believed in um, conscious eternal suffering. That's, that's what I was taught. Until I read this book and I'm going to say, wait a minute, there's something different here. I, I never really looked at it. I'd hear sermons about, and I just cringed and didn't even challenge the thought. And this book really does challenge it. But like I said, the internet is full of this kind of information. So think of this. For God so loved the world is the verse that we started with. He loved the world. He loves us. I mean, that's that's the whole concept of the Bible. God loves us. He doesn't want anyone to perish, to die. He doesn't want us to die. And so what did he do? He gave the good news. The good news is, in faith in Jesus, we can have eternal life. If you choose not to, you die the second death. Now that, that has been used as a powerful conversion tool. Someone comes to your house and you're going to teach them about Christianity. If you don't believe this, you're going to hell. Let me tell you about hell. And it scares the bejeebers out of people. It's okay, okay, I'll become a Christian. And, and there may be no love for God in that, but simply fear. And it is a powerful tool. Believe me, I've used it before when I talk to people. 
Is that the good news? Or is that the bad news? The bad news is, folks, you're going to go to hell unless you do it just the way I tell you. The good news is God will give you the gift of eternal life. That's the good news. The good news. Any questions or comments? I know, I know this is a lot. I went through a whole lot. Heavy duty in Greek and all that I couldn't even pronounce. But that's the only way to look at this to really try to understand what the Bible is teaching to us. Matt uh, mentioned that uh, you can Google Freedom's Ring, F-R-E-E-D-O-M-S-R-I-N-G, and there's, uh, when it pops up, there will be one listed by uh, Cecil Hook. Uh, and uh, I think this, uh, this uh, particular book is listed as, as uh, one of the uh, kind of the resource materials for this subject, mm-hmm. and there are others there too, but the whole website is a treasure trove of, of, of uh, information that shoots down a lot of our traditional uh, uh, thoughts on various subjects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but I know I'm almost positive that's, I got that book few years back, I think I found out about it. I actually found out about it from the man, the man Cecil Hook, but uh, I think that one's uh, listed on that site. Have you read this book? Yes. Yeah, years, yes. How did it impact you when you read it, Jim? Uh, well, uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you that, that Cecil Hook um, was a, a non-traditional thinker. He was a Church of Christ preacher who was kind of later dismissed from the pulpit because he, he wasn't he couldn't preach the things a lot of the things that he had preached as a younger man so he lived in Round Rock, Texas and he was kind of dismissed from the pulpit he stayed there at the same congregation for mm-hmm. his whole life uh, but uh, he did a tremendous amount of writing uh, and I was just happy, I, I, I talked with him a few times by phone about various subjects, and at the end of one of my phone conversations, he brought up this subject here. He said, let me give you something to kick around a little bit. And <laughs> he started, he gave me about five minutes of your lesson, mm-hmm. and then he told me where to go. I get, uh, get the, that book. And uh, um, at first, of course, like everything else, uh, you're kind of down on what you're not up on. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, yeah, I kind of was comfortable in a, a traditional approach to that. But uh, after a while, I could say, well, here, here again is a place that, uh, or somebody that's enlightened and wants other people to be enlightened too. I think so. I, I was uh, uh, uncomfortable with it to begin with, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's well, that makes a lot of sense. It does. And, and when you read your Bible, and, and Dale and I have done this repeatedly, as you read your Bible, there's so many verses that talk about this, and you repeatedly see the concept of destroyed, consumed, perish over and over and over and over again. And Dale, Dale and I do the Bible differently. I, I, I get into studies like this. I love it. I get deep into it in all kind of books, and books all over the table and the chairs. But Dale likes to read the Bible. And so when she's reading, she'll go, hey, John, here's another one. And here's another one. And here's another one. Because it, it comes up all the time. How much time do we have? Whoops. Yes, ma'am. I was just going to say, I like, I, well, we talk about this a lot. I love it because I'm, I grew up 
And like, what about this person, my grandfather, who we love and who was the best Christian ever, but not exactly in line with what we believe? Is he in hell? Is he burning? Is he forever? Though I think everybody has those people who feel like that just doesn't make sense. But I think the good thing about this study is like, maybe it's hard because it's not what we taught our were taught our whole life, but ultimately it doesn't really matter. Because like you said, case or whatever happens, happens, and it's like God wants people to believe in him and love him, not for fear of hell, but because they, we love, they him. love him. So it doesn't have to scare us, you know, it's just an interesting way of looking at things in a different way. And if it is correct, then hallelujah, you know? And if not, then nothing's changing, right? you know? We just still love God, we still do, you know, what he asks us to do. Well, I, I feel that same way, Tracy, that to, th to think of people that I love because they didn't accept the Lord, at least the way I think it should be accepted, to think of them in eternal conscious torment is just a thought that I can't bear. And so when I, when I studied this, I said, okay, I don't know what it's going to be like, but for my own mental well-being, if my loved one ceased, okay. And think about this, remember? I don't have the verse. Paul said, I would gladly give up my salvation if my brothers would come to Christ, meaning the Hebrews. Well, he would gladly go into eternal conscious torment forever and ever? I doubt that. But would he simply die for them? Christ said, who will die, die for someone? Someone might die for a righteous person. And Paul said he would. So think about it, folks. It's an interesting thought. Thank you for your comments. We got to close. Appreciate it.